0: Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Uh. Well.
1: Um. I'm doing uh. uh okay. I'm keep staying, staying uh, uh, safe and, and 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 healthy and um, supporting uh, the ongoing causes where I can. Uh, listeners, um, you can. Uh, support uh, Communities United Against Police Brutality by buying literally anything at com slash premium and 100% of that money will be going to Communities United Against Police Brutality Um, so uh, that's that's throughout the month of June we'll be doing that so uh, please do that Um, as far as me personally how I'm doing today I learned that in all likelihood I will be working from home for the foreseeable future to use the, uh, sure. the term in the, in the email, which is the biggest so far it's usually it's been like a couple of weeks or like as much as a month push at once. Yeah. And, and, uh, the last email was that we were, they were going to start bringing people back into the office June 15th. That now seems like it might not happen, but if it does happen, it's going to be, it's probably not going to include me. I will probably be working from home. So this is it. This is, uh, my life now, (laughs) working from home. Um, uh, And I know you've
0: got, you, you already know what your fall is like, which is like crazy to know that far ahead. Yeah. And, and I do wonder if, because I know some places are reopening, David, my favorite coffee shop has reopened. Uh, They are, they do a thing where like every other booth is closed. Hmm. Um, The staff, uh it, where essentially like double masks they were like the the standard face mask and then like a big plastic thing over their face okay. like a not a welder's mask but that kind of model um and uh so yeah i i i went in and uh i had my own face mask but i sat there and hmm. graded and graded papers while i drank some coffee, um, lifting up my mask as I did so. And uh, it was, it was a, a very surreal experience because I was the only one in there. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's probably
1: safe, uh, safer. Um, sure. I still don't feel like I'd be okay with going and sitting inside somewhere. Natalie and I have considered going to a restaurant that we know and we know that the way it works out is that it's outdoor seating. You enter into the outdoor seating so you can mm-hmm. maintain social distancing the entire time. The, the, only, the, closest, the only time anyone might come as close as six feet would be your server, who would be uh, all uh, masked and gloved up. So we've considered doing that, but I don't know
0: that I'm yet at a place where I'd want to go sit inside admittedly if the place had been full or you, like mm-hmm. or i mean as full as it can be i probably would not have honestly but i walked in saw that there was nobody and I was like right. all right i think i can live with this and then i uh, took a, a a spot sort of in the corner there yeah. um and uh, And it was actually it was quite nice, uh, but once again a little bit surreal. I felt like I was doing something wrong, even though legally I wasn't um, and it's like oh I don't like this feeling um, yeah but uh, but yeah <laughs> so so with, but with places like opening, I was starting to wonder if like okay well maybe my my fall won't be this maybe I maybe they will open up campuses, but at the same time, like you open up a campus that you're opening a, a, a a place up granted it's spread out a little bit, but you're opening it up to thousands of people. And it's like, yeah, I guess that is different than small restaurants. And so, yeah, my guess is that I will be doing this once again in the fall, this uh, remote teaching thing.
1: Um, but uh, the thing I wanted to talk about uh, was to go back to the other. Uh, uh, we got the pandemic. The other crisis um, right. is uh, on- ongoing um, unrest against racial injustice and police brutality. Um, and we had a few a couple days ago, a few days ago, by the time you're hearing this, almost, almost a week ago, um, Blackout Tuesday. Um, right. Which was a thing that uh, a lot of people apparent I guess, did wrong there was a lot of uh confusion over how to observe this i i took it to mean that uh i wasn't going to post anything if i was going to post anything it was going to be a retweet preferably of someone of color or something like that Uh, but i think i mostly just like read uh uh twitter and 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 stuff and didn't actually post anything uh that day but it brought up the question like coming out of blackout tuesday there and even so during the past weekend when when all of the protests were happening all over the country um i was tweeting you know uh uh quite a lot and reading twitter a lot and retweeting a lot because i was feeling very angry um and that uh uh weirdly like donating my money helped me feel better in a real way um Tweeting angrily helped me
0: feel better in a very short-term sort of superficial
1: way, but it... (laughs) But it, and but it does have
0: longer-term effects uh, physically and mentally. But yeah.
1: <laughs> but the thing that I kept, uh, I, I would like scroll through Twitter, and everything was about this. And then every once in a while, it'd just be someone being being like, "Check out these ribs I grilled tonight." And be like, <laughs> and I'm like
0: uh, "Yeah, but, yeah." It's like but, that Kyle canane bit uh, about, about the, uh, yeah. cheddar bay biscuits. <laughs> yes, that's. Uh, is that available as a premium episode?
1: uh because he did that bit at uh, a battleship retention live show i'm trying to remember if that's one of the ones that you can get as a
0: premium episode no i think our live shows we just posted in the stream like people didn't have to pay for those
1: well if you can find that one with kyle kinane you can hear that very funny uh cheddar biscuits uh bit
0: it is a good bit
1: (laughs) yeah um but uh so that was like crazy to me like the whole weekend i there's nothing i was posting that wasn't about what was going on there but coming out of blackout tuesday i have had this like what are the, like, what is the etiquette for, for, for posting? Like, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've posted links like to a couple of our, like podcasts or just stuff on the website a little bit, but I'm mostly still trying to stick to, uh, uh, more relevant, uh, stuff. Um, but also I'm trying to remember that like, like, Twitter isn't the entirety of my life, you know. If I spend, right. uh, if I spend hours of my day, or if I spend hundreds of hours, and then like uh, uh, an hour or two of my day, like reading about or, or 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 watching movies by black filmmakers, or doing things for uh, that are, that are like have social justice in mind. If I tweet one dumb
0: thing about the earthquake does that um, undo all of that <laughs> like, I don't obviously think it no in my like i recognize like we all we we do want to try and be sensitive and we want to try and recognize that there are larger things going on than like uh, the random thoughts we might have about a movie or about like some other event mm-hmm. but um at the same time like And I realize that I'm, I'm in a place where I can, I can afford to, to say this, but just like, there's just so little grace for, for people right now. And granted, there are some people for whom maybe right now there shouldn't be any grace. So I I, I get, but at the same time, when it's people who are genuinely trying to engage and then every once in a while they say something that doesn't have to do with this, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's okay if you, if you immerse yourself in this thing, which is understandable because we're dealing with injustice and it is a deeply heartbreaking and infuriating issue. And so on one hand, you want to be a part of it because it is, uh, it is a vital part of the conversation, conversation culturally. But at the same time, you and I have talked about both off and on mic, our own mental health and sometimes allowing yourself to have thoughts that aren't a hundred percent. This thing, uh, is, but you don't have to tweet those thoughts. Not necessarily, mean? not necessarily, but, um, at the but same yeah, time, I mean, like, I'll
1: admit that like, uh, uh, a lot of me and Natalie's conversations are about what's going on, but mm-hmm. then we also like make a drink and play cards like to un- unwind. Yeah. Uh, but I guess, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I guess I just want to uh, maybe try to balance. Like, uh, I'm—I uh, mean, I'm someone who tries who tries to always be aware of of the privileges that I have. I feel like the past week or so has really made me think about it just constantly. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely doing what I can with the fact that I. Uh, have a decent and steady job means that i can i can donate money where i can and not only donate money but i can I can also support black creators black businesses Natalie and i have uh um been going over uh, uh there's been so many resources out there just google it like um here's a bunch of black owned restaurants um mm-hmm. and uh uh our friend um our friend Jesse Thorne who runs, put this on, they posted a link of uh, uh, black owned menswear retailers. I bought mm-hmm. a, I bought a, a, a shirt from post Imperial made of uh, recycled material uh, <laughs> that uh, um, is it
0: meant to rhyme? Uh, no. Uh, oh, that's unfortunate. It's an
1: upcycled, I guess is the, the trendy term, but it's yeah, recycled shirt. Um, so basically I'm, I'm trying to balance out um, my social media statements my uh the content that i choose to uh uh consume the business i suppose i choose to support and the donations with occasionally
0: yeah i have you know watching an episode of veep or whatever yeah (laughs) Um, or uh, if it's just or it that's the other thing is certainly one doesn't want to be flippant about this this kind of thing but yeah when that earthquake happened the the number of people on on facebook and twitter that were like yep here's the, here's another thing Um, uh, that was the, the commonality to those, to those uh, tweets and, and status updates and that kind of thing. And, and I guess it all, there, there's the the debate about what constitutes balance. You know, if you're tweeting 10 things that are very much about the situation that's going on your thoughts, and then you do one tweet that is, Fairly innocuous. Some people would say, "Well, that's too many," and it's like, yeah. "Well, uh, yeah." I mean, you know, this I, could it, all be it, as long as it's not be, you know. In my opinion, as long as it's not being like, you know, I'm starting <laughs> to think maybe this other side has a good point. Yeah. Like that's no, I'm not talking thing. about that, that. I'm just that talking does about does negate. Yeah. You know? um, uh, uh,
1: I guess this could, and this is me. Like, I'm mostly like self-policing here. I, I haven't actually. I don't know if you've had a different experience. I haven't actually seen a, an example of a person being specifically jumped on and saying, How could you say this now? I've seen general tweets and Instagram posts being like, I can't believe people are tweeting about other things. Yes. But yes. I, I haven't seen anyone saying, like, like, jumping on someone and saying, How dare
0: you? Um, so I guess that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a better way to, to, to do it. You know, um, it's, it's a weird thing. Like, I do understand, once again, trying to be sensitive and trying to, to self to kind of hold, hold oneself accountable. Um, cause it's so easy to, f- to say, well, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to say whatever I want. It's like, yeah, sure. No one's saying you aren't mm-hmm. the issue then is what are you going to do just from a larger, a larger cultural more standpoint. Um, but, uh, I will also say as someone who is, uh, is on record as, uh, uh hating himself, most of the time for reasons that may not be totally rational. Uh I, I would encourage people showing yourself grace is not the same as letting yourself off the hook. And um mm-hmm. yeah and I would so I would encourage you and and the listener that like in the midst of this, sometimes you need to think about other things, do other things so that you don't get burned out and so that you do have the energy to, to jump back in, uh, to, to this, uh, fight for lack of a better term. Um, because if you, when dealing with, with an issue, especially when you're on the outside, it can be extremely easy to just have no mental or emotional energy left. And then you just walk away from it and you don't come back. But I think having some, Mm -hmm having some level of uh, moderation. People in my uh, in my neighborhood are setting off fireworks uh, pretty much constantly, so sorry about that. Um, so I think having uh, some level of moderation just for your own sanity, knowing that you're not going to be able to do any good if you have driven yourself insane or forced yourself into a, into a depression um, because of this. So I think it's, you know, it requires... It requires a lot a lot of self-knowledge and what you need as a person in order to be most effective in in the things that you do whether it be in your marriage or your career or in this case uh trying to to take a stand and, and engage in a way that can be uh, uh helpful
1: um uh yeah and um you can also engage in ways like even in your like unwinding time. Like it doesn't always, I'm, I, I retweeted someone today named, uh, uh, AO at I don't know who this person is. It says they're, uh, um, a comic and a, and a, writer and I'm trying to figure out what their pronouns are, but literally their pinned tweet is, uh, no pronouns do not refer to me ever, which is funny. <laughs> um, but, uh, they were pointing out like all these like watch lists of movies to watch, you know, the, um, uh, to support whatever, like it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be homework, is what uh, this person said. Like you can watch Hollywood Shuffle and Ganja and Hess and the Watermelon Woman and like uh, 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 fun stuff, which reminded me another thing. Good, if you have a Criterion Channel, they they do these like I don't, know what they, I forget what they call them. Not playlists, but they put like a bunch of movies and special features into one. Like yeah, I can't remember what they call not, them. I have a name for a, it. Is it called a collection? Maybe it's a collection. Yeah, that sounds right. So they have a like a uh, filmmaker, like a black filmmaker collection. That has all kinds of daughters of the dust. Um, mm-hmm. Other, I can't remember if they have Watermelon Woman, but there's other Cheryl Dunn uh, stuff. Uh, so yeah, there's there's plenty of things you can do. Like I said, uh, Natalie and I are very, getting very excited looking at the restaurants we're going to be ordering from. We get to try some new restaurants uh, and some old favorites that we kind of didn't even realize were were were, were black owned here in. Uh, uh in North Hollywood we've got Black House Burgers, uh which is a delicious burger place uh that we like. So we're gonna order from them more often. Um so yeah, you uh, commit yourself to the cause and even but you know, committing yourself to the cause doesn't have to one hundred percent be uh, uh homework, as this person said. Sure, All right. Sure. Um, I guess from that let's very uh, cautiously uh segue into an ad. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, we have to do an ad here. Um, uh tweakaudio.com is where you go for professional quality uh earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors that look great they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. Uh today I was listening to the new album uh by rapper uh Future which is called High Off Life and I know I this is this is me being an old man. Like I know that These days, an artist can create a song and have it up on Spotify, you know, the same day. Um, So it shouldn't seem so weird to me that there's a a full new rap album in which, like, there are references to coronavirus. (laughs) Uh, But it just seems like (laughs) I'm just coming from, like, uh, things aren't supposed to take that long (laughs) or or aren't supposed to be that fast. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's good. I like Future. I like the new album. Um, and it's under good on my earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakaudio.com. but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you could want to throw it off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Um uh, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while because uh because of the uh, normally, so this is episode six hundred and ninety, which means uh, the name, the number of the episode is divisible by ten, but not evenly divisible by, by fifty, which means that it's a profile episode. And uh, I will admit, normally in the profile episodes, I am either I haven't done as much research as I wanted to, or I've like set everything else in my life on hold and crammed a bunch of research into the week, like the one week before, <laughs> like we, like I watched so many. Um, Peter Fonda movies in like the yeah. five days before we recorded that Peter Fonda episode. Um, but because of the quarantine and, and stuff, I've actually uh, been watching uh, movies starring Max von Sydow, uh for quite a while now. And so I've been champing at, champing at the bit to do go. this episode. Um, uh, so yes, this is a profile of the career of the uh, the late Max von Sydow who died, who passed away earlier this year and uh he's uh he's got a bunch of movies um and his his uh his career went in all kinds of uh places so let's just jump right in all right and uh i think i like you i'm starting with 1957 the seven seal uh
0: that is correct yes
1: um which um which we, we we talked about this on a Patreon episode that's posting soon, uh, coincidentally, but, um, the seven seals movie that I put off, but Bergman in general is a director that I put off for a long time. Um, cause I think I'd seen like Woody Allen's interiors and heard that that is his like Bergman riff. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, so it's all just like, uh, dry and heavy. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and some of his stuff very much is, but I think, um, uh, Bergman is actually one of the. He belongs belongs to a handful of uh, of of filmmakers, um, uh, along with some of the all time greats like Orson Welles. Um, I would say uh, more recently, people like Olivier Assayas, or or even like mainstream people like Steven Spielberg um Mario Bava I would commit I would I would put in this in in this uh camp of uh, people who just like their first language is cinema almost do you know what I mean like yes. like there's such a there there's such an undeniable facility with camera and editing and lighting that it seems like I, if there are people who can do this with movies it's crazy to think that there were a time when there weren't movies.
0: Yes, that is, I, I know exactly what you mean. And there are some directors that just, it's that concept of like, they arrive fully formed and they mm-hmm. just, they just know the language. Like the rest of us, we may, it, it, I, let's, let's look at it that way. Um, because I have talked in the past about, uh, film being a language, uh, <laughs> with all the different aspects of film being, you know, your verbs, your punctuation, cadence, all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, and most of us had to learn the language of film over time, but there are just some people and I recognize they had to learn it as well, but it just seems like they are native speakers and, and Spielberg is one of them. Uh, And I think, I think you're correct. Like Wells and my somewhat, my, my limited exposure to Ingmar Bergman. He's just, he knows the movies he wants to make and he's just going to make them. And it, it, It seems, even when he's dealing with stuff that's kind of narratively experimental, it feels right. It feels like, well, obviously, that's the way to tell that story. I mean, what else could it be?
1: As a result, what I I always thought his films were going to be so ponderous, all of his movies are so watchable. Yeah. Um, As much as The Seventh Seal, which is uh, uh, about a, uh, Max Fonsetto plays a crusader, right? A soldier from the Mm -hmm. Crusades uh, who's... Time has come, I guess, and uh, is playing chess with death, with with, with death uh, for his life, and having these existential conversations and uh, and all that. As much as its themes are 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 are, are heavy and, and abstract, The Seven Seal is actually uh, like a surprising number of Bergman movies, especially in the uh, the earlier half of his career. Um, pretty short, right? <laughs> the Seven Seal is like ninety minute, ninety five minutes, ninety minutes, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and sometimes very funny, uh, and always fun to watch, and that's so the. And then the other thing, I guess, for me coming to Bergman late is that, or, or coming to Bergman late means that I came to in the. Uh, I came to young Max von Sydow late. You know, I, hmm. being the film, the age I am, the film film, I am, I knew him from some of like the '90s, and 2000 stuff that we'll talk about uh, uh, later in the in the show. Um, in which he was always very physically imposing, and I I can already tell, uh, for me at least, physicality is something we're gonna be I'm gonna be talking about a lot in this episode. Um, but it was it was uh, so strange to me to because this was the first young young von Sydow that I saw to see him so hale and hearty, um, which I think is part of the irony of the fact yeah. that he's dying here. But uh, um, he's he's a soldier, and his his physicality I feel like. It, there's a couple directors that he worked with a lot, and one of them is Bergman. And I think uh, Bergman often gives us a version of Von Sydow who seems like he could uh, run a mile at the drop of a hat. Like He, he, he's, he uses his physical stature, because Von Sydow is very tall. <laughs> Yes. Um, and, and his voice went with that. like the fact that he had the voice of a tall person, if that makes sense. uh, <laughs> um, uh and, and, and he uses that, uh, Brugman uses that for, uh, as a source of energy, I think. Yeah.
0: His- and, uh, yeah, he could run a mile and the whole way, he'd be wondering why he's doing that, why he's doing anything. <laughs> um, because that's the other thing is, it, it, when I think about Max von Sydow, he was a tremendously good actor, but what I would say is there's only one thing I imagine he could not play, which is dumb. Um, hmm. Which is actually, I guess, kind of ironic considering that an extremely loud and incredibly close, he literally doesn't talk. I mean, dumb as in unintelligent. Yeah. Uh, that like, this is, he he just whether he's playing a, a, like a, a protagonist or an antagonist, like he just exudes intelligence. And I would say a specifically thoughtful and maybe even introspective kind of intelligence, no matter what he is doing. Uh, whenever he is in a film, regardless of the film, I definitely feel like, okay, that's the smartest guy in the room, but it's not like he's a know-it-all kind of smart guy. It's not, uh, you know, E.G. Marshall uh, or anything like that. E.G. Yeah. E. Marshall, right? That's who I'm thinking of. I think that's who you're um, thinking. of. Men. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks uh, like an egghead. Yeah, exactly. And you just and there's there's a certain there could be a certain haughtiness to him as a as a uh, as an actor that he played into because of the types of roles that he played. And so it's not that there's 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 often a certain humility in the way that Max von Sydow played characters even playing powerful villains like in uh Flash Gordon or uh Needful Things or something like that uh there is just this this unassuming quality to him so that like he's intelligent without being a know-it-all and he could give the impression of decency even when Playing uh, imposing characters, and he could also be quite imposing. It was really he. he it was such a he was such a unique on screen presence because he could embody all of these things that could that were contradictory. That's how he could play Jesus and Satan uh, it, over the course of his career. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. that's something that not a lot of actors could do convincingly. But you just as equally buy him as a villain, as, as you would the, the biggest hero, you know? Um, But anyway, I've already said a lot of, you know, I've said a lot of what I will be saying, but like, as I've been thinking about his movies, as I've been watching performances, that's sort of the, this, this decency and humility and intelligence. Right. Um, And I think, you know, if you look in his eyes, there's often like a certain sadness uh, and that's definitely something that you see in the seventh seal, like this character, What frustrates him is not that he is dying. What frustrates him is that he is dying having so little clarity on what life was all about. And there's an anger there, but more than anything, there's a real heartbreak uh, to his character that, uh, that really you know we we take our emotional cues from him in the film i realize we can't spend this much time on
1: yeah it. but it's okay on the first one um and we won't spend much time on also in 1957 he appeared in ingmar bergman's wild strawberries it's a it's a one scene um uh roles so it's been a while since i've watched it but that's my understanding is wild strawberries is kind of a road trip movie and he plays a gas station attendant attendant uh in one of the scenes who um gives uh, the professor played by Victor Solström free gasp to sort of like pay back pay him back for all his kindness over the years or, or, or whatever it's a, uh, it's a nice little scene but uh, I can't say I remember uh, much about it but um, uh, but it also is interesting to see again you've got compared to Victor Solström, Max Zeado's character is youthful <laughs> and again, it's just i guess i'll have to, i should i should get over it, but I <laughs> discovered max Fonceto in reverse, and so uh seeing him uh uh as as youthful uh, uh is a little bit striking um, there
0: is still though when you look back at him when he is young, there's still a certain cragginess <laughs> uh to to his features
1: Oh, okay. um, well yeah he'll start i mean we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he'll start playing older than he is by the end of the 60s yeah um but here uh, even maybe
0: i even the early 60s the the next film on my list i i, I might i'll probably am probably getting ahead of our of uh, myself but uh you know he's the head of a family with older children um okay. and so uh but we'll talk about that in a moment yeah so i want to talk about
1: uh, uh sticking with, it's gonna be a bunch of bergman here so sticking with bergman 1958's the magician which is a total blast of a movie um, and uh, oddly, because I, I saw I saw it for the first time in preparation for this, um, and I found myself thinking by the end that this would make a great like uh, uh double bill with Shadow of the Vampire of all things, uh, because even though the, the the magician is about uh he plays the head of a sort of uh, traveling, um, I don't know circus troupe or whatever in in like uh um I don't know. 1800s, 1700s, uh, somewhere who um, uh, have to spend the night at a um, like a, a a wealthy person's uh, estate that they're gonna be they're going to be performing but they're also under suspicion of some crimes or or whatever so it's basically it's 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 a it's an all-in-one night type of movie It takes place over the course of 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 one night and he spends most of the movie in a very obviously false beard and mustache because that's his like right. magician uh uh character but um uh a lot of the movie has to do with uh, is about how these I don't know. Artists, performer types uh, uh, clash with the uh, the more traditional folks, both the rich folks and their servants, with whom they spend uh, most of the time. Um, and there's some question among uh, uh, on, on the part of of the uh, uh, officials, the aristocrats of the town, uh, as to whether or not he actually is a is a magician, and he's very intentionally. Uh, um, coy about whether or not what he does is real. And I think that's where the shadow of the vampire thing came into me is the idea of someone through some sort of artistic or expressive pursuit. Uh, that There's a, there's a folly to trying to capture actual reality in that the best you, you, you can you can maybe approach reality by coming at it sideways uh with these illusions or or in 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 a in a film but uh um it's hard to actually pin down um the entirety of truth in a magic trick or a movie about a vampire um, <laughs> uh but uh the magician is also um uh, a lot of fun um it also had it has a surprising amount of horror again, not there's a, uh, Ingmar Bergman, again, you, I guess thinking of him as the guy who inspired Woody Allen's interiors, <laughs> I was surprised at how, uh, versatile he is genre wise, uh, in watching a lot of his stuff. And there's, uh, he made more, he made, more than two i would say more than one or two horror type movies uh in his life and the magician has some horror stuff in it
0: i feel like Uh, his sensibilities would lend themselves to horror pretty pretty well even even in uh the the next film for me is The Virgin Spring, 1960. That's not a horror movie, but it would certainly inspire horror movies. And I think that's because at its core, you're dealing with some really horrific concepts. Well,
1: let's... Uh, first, I want to quickly want to mention that The Magician also stars B.B. Anderson, who's uh, another uh, Bergman uh, go-to. But yeah, let's jump into The, the Virgin Spring, which um, I feel like... Uh, maybe... It's gonna, it's, I think this has to go up there in the pantheon of greatest final scenes in the history of movies, uh, mm-hmm. ever. The, the scene that the movie takes its name from. Yeah. Uh, uh, is, is at the end. And, uh, I was so, so blown away by the way the movie ends but yeah here uh uh you're, you're this is the movie you were talking about i'm guessing where where he's a a family man but uh yeah but it's medieval times i feel like people had people had kids <laughs> yeah. at like yeah you know he was a
0: father at 16. 13 yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah uh yeah but he's uh a, uh a, a, a loving um and pious father mm-hmm. um who's uh uh, the only thing I knew about the movie going in was that it was the inspiration for The Last House on the Left. Uh, mm-hmm. So I knew it was going to happen, and it uh, is, uh, yeah, shockingly close to The Last House on uh, on the Left. Which um, I've never
0: actually seen, and I don't yeah, particularly don't, want to. Yeah, you don't need to see it. Yeah. Um, I think what I like about, one of the things that I like about The Virgin Spring, from the standpoint of looking at Max von Sydow as an actor... He plays the character, again, this is a character who's who's fairly decent and is immediately, like after the events happen, and maybe I'm reading into it, I don't know, but, which could probably be said about any discussion of uh, an Ingmar Bergman film, but the idea of he's questioning, like, I tried to do all the right things. I tried to be a a good man and that might actually have made me weak and it might have made me a target. And perhaps if I had lived a, a different life, if I had made different choices, if I had embraced different values, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Maybe I've let my family down by trying to be a good sort of passive trusting person. And, you know, it's one thing if I get hurt uh, because of that. But now, uh, I have allowed my family to get hurt and, uh, that is unacceptable, which is why I think he's operating not front, not purely from a place of vengeance or even justice. <clears throat> I think he's operating from a place of shame mm. and, and feeling like yeah. he, at, he has not done his job as, you know, the patriarch of the family. And so, uh, that, I mean, I, I got all that from granted what the character is doing, but I think what, uh, what Von Sydow does with the character, like there is a lot going on there. This is not purely, you can't do this to my family. I will do something to you. It's, it's so much deeper than that. There's such, there's such a, a, a brokenness, not merely because, oh my gosh, my, my family has been hurt. It's am I responsible for this? It's an entire worldview being shaken. And uh, I I love the movie in general. And I think his performance is extremely uh, powerful. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention uh, after I read this, I, or after I watched this, I went and read uh, just some excerpts, some reviews like of at the time and reviews mentioning how like, like, uncompromisingly violent the movie is and it's like i mean it, it is upset like there's a like there's a murder where like a person is murdered and then the shot just like goes on with yeah. the dead body they're like it's upsetting but just in terms of what we're now more accustomed to in non-screen
0: violence it, it's funny to think of people uh clutching yeah, their pearls at, at this yeah, especially it's like, hey, would you like to see the film that this that yeah. was inspired by this? And then that person obviously would have uh, some kind of heart attack or something. Yeah. Okay. But, so, what's,
1: uh, so moving on to um Bergman. One year later, through a glass, darkly. Um, so one thing that like so the character in Seven Seal um, is is. Uh, um, um a soldier and and the other one's a traveling performer and and this guy's a in virgin spring is a is a farmer and through a glass darkly we actually get to see even though he's still his imposing physical frame he's he's more of like an academic he wears you know sweaters and eyeglasses type of type of thing uh here and, and he plays um uh i'm forgetting the um is it it's Harriet Anderson. He plays the wife of Harriet Anderson, uh, and they're spending a weekend um, at the the sort of beachside island home of uh, her father. Uh, and her younger brother is is there. Um, and it's for a lot of the, the first half of it. It's kind of just like a hangout movie. They like the um, uh, you see the you see even though the. Von Cato and and Harriet Anderson are adults, and even her younger brother is essentially an adult. They like write and put on a little play, like kids, for the for the father, like as a birthday present to him. Um, And then like a couple of them go on a boat, and a couple are hanging out at the beach. It's kind of a hangout movie, but you uh, you're in there hints early on, but you realize that uh, Harriet Harriet Anderson's character uh, has some sort of uh, I, I don't know what to call it schizophrenia or 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 something um uh and uh, you realize that everyone's kind of always on edge because they never know when her next sort of episode will will be um and in the second half of the movie it it uh it tilts more toward her being the main character and so you experience the movie's so beautiful it's such a great use of uh locations such a a, a great uh, I'm assuming patience with the light and the weather because you couldn't. They didn't have as much, you know, uh, uh, color timing and digital intermediate and stuff. <laughs> they didn't have digital intermediate back then, so they couldn't just change the color. I mean, it's black and white. They couldn't change the 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 shade of the of the sky. Like, but. Uh, 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 every shot is incredibly beautiful, but they also become much darker. You know, she, you see, she ends up hanging out in a part of the house. That's kind of falling apart that like, uh, is supposed to, I think reflect what's going on in her, in her, in her brain. And, and, um, my, Von Sato's character is a very, is very, um, com compassionate, I guess, uh, um, uh, and feels terrible for her. But, um, in real Bergman fashion, uh, you, come to maybe understand that, uh, what's the allegorically. Maybe this is about, um, her believing in God and him, the rest of her family, not believing in God. And so her schizophrenia as it's being portrayed is a, a stand in for something that the other characters can't understand. And it's told from, like I said, it's told from her, her point of view, um, uh, And, uh, uh, yeah, there's a, Vonsato has a, a, a great scene in which he's like trying to calm her down, but is also like yelling at her. Like he says something like, no, there's no, like no God is going to walk through the door or, or, or something, which made me think of that famous, uh, I don't know, you're not a sports guy, but that, uh, I forget the name of the the Boston Celtics uh, uh, coach uh, who had that so and so ain't walking through that door uh, <laughs> uh, press conference, which is a weird thing to to think about. Larry Bird ain't walking through that door when Gonzato was <laughs> talking about whether or not there's a God. Uh, but I'm sure that people of Boston see Larry saw Larry Bird the same way. Sure, yeah,
0: yeah. but yeah, uh, uh, also, very. He was always walking through doors. That Larry Bird, like <laughs> he's always standing and walking through doors. Just like uh, Rory Calhoun. Rory Calhoun. (laughs) Um, Um, Okay, so what's. I don't have, honestly, I don't actually have anything until the 70s. Okay, so
1: so. I've got. um, Jumping ahead to. So I mentioned there's a couple of directors he worked with a lot. Bergman is the main one. The other one, though, is Jan Troel. Troel? I'm not sure how you say his last name. Uh, T R O E L L. And. uh i don't have much to say about von sato's role in here is your life uh from 1966 it's a great movie uh but again kind of like wild strawberries von sato's character uh kind of uh just shows up for i can't really it's not it's not not very long or it might feel like it's not very long because the movie's like three hours long uh for i know he's in he could be in there like 35 40 minutes but it just seems like it's not that long um but uh uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about that that uh performance, but we'll get back to Jan Troil uh uh later. Um 1968 Back to Bergman and maybe my favorite Bergman uh uh because it's so it's his maybe his most overtly horror movie um Hour of the Wolf in uh which uh kind of similarly to Through a Glass darkly there's a character on an island Bergman shot on the Scandinavian like the Swedish islands uh, a lot Uh, maybe one island in particular I don't know Uh, someone who's more of a Bergman expert could tell me the name of the island but uh but this time he's Zvonsato's playing the one who's who's going insane uh he's um an artist of some sort uh, I can't remember um who's having trouble uh uh, writing and taking it out on his wife and on the townspeople around him. There's a, there's a scene that is like, uh, uh, upsetting, but also s- funny where he's like walking back. He was trying to like paint a landscape. He's walking back toward the house and another person from the town is like, comes up and is walking alongside him and like talking to him and talking to him. And at one point, Van just like loses his patience, just slaps the guy across the face. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh but um if i, I talked about it through glass darkly the sort of ruined parts of the house reflecting harriet anderson's uh mental state here you've got just full-on like nightmare sequences um that are uh that, that are that are going on um uh so uh here again you've got uh um, von zaito uh playing someone who's who looks like Max von Sato, uh, Physically imposing, he can slap a guy around, but um, uh, it's a more um, cerebral and internalized uh, role. But the performance, because there's nightmares that he's actually performing in, or sorry, uh, existing in, um, requires a more physical performance as well. So he's playing both of these sides of himself that we keep we keep talking about. Um, Incidentally,
0: I would love if, if Max von Sydow had gotten the opportunity to say, if you're not careful, I'm going to slap you around. Like it just, (laughs) uh, I feel like he'd, he'd be able to really imbue that with depth.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, but what I was talking about, uh, him playing all the roles, 1969 is the passion of Anna, which I think is Bergman's first color film, um, Mm -hmm. uh, reuniting, um, Von Sydow and B.B. Anderson, and also Liv Ullman, whom uh, Von Sydow, I'm not sure if they'd worked together before this, but they will work together again. Um, and, but this is the one I was talking about, about him playing older, because this is a movie that has, um, like, a, we did a whole episode on, like, third-person narrators, like, mm-hmm. people who narrate the movie but aren't a part of the movie, other than that. Um, and this movie has a narrator, and in the opening scene, it says something about him being, like, uh, 48 years old or something like that i can't remember exactly what it is but i looked it up and he like wasn't even 40 yet when they were making it but uh um here he plays uh the the movie is uh it intentionally sort of folds in on itself because um he plays a man named andreas God, I, I hope i can remember all of this because he plays a man named andreas who's divorced and he meets a woman named Anna, who's a widower. Okay. But his ex-wife's name is also Anna, and her late husband's name was also Andreas. And also um uh what is it? Uh I, there there's there's another layer to uh the because there's also PB Anderson and Erland Josephson play their friends and I think BB Anderson had had an affair with the other Andreas. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's intentionally, it's intentionally, uh, uh, and then added on top of that is that the four main, uh, actors, Liv Ullman, BB Anderson, Max Lonsato, and Erlen Josephson also have scenes, documentary type scenes of themselves talking to the camera about their characters. Um, and then also part of it, I said, it's his first color film, but also part of it's in black and white. Um, so, uh, this is, I think, getting a little bit closer to the, um, intentionally, uh, uh, difficult to decipher Bergman of his reputation. Um, uh, but it's, it's also just a, um, it, it never stops being uh, an engaging melodrama about these uh, r- relationships um at at the same time but uh i could tell you're uh, uh zoning out so
0: <laughs> sorry i'm 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 looking over uh it's i'm engaged with what we're talking about but not uh in a way that requires response sorry about that uh
1: no that's that's okay um uh it's a it's it's a good movie i'm sure uh i wish i had uh all the time in the world but it, it, there's there's a lot uh going on in and it. it's once again uh is shot on uh an island i don't know if it's the same island oh and also yeah there's someone like uh um mutilating sheep uh there's there's a lot going on in in this movie um and then i'm gonna keep talking okay okay <laughs> uh 1971 and 72 it's a Two part movie that's really just one long movie, but it was released in two parts hmm. because total, uh, it's about six and a half hours long. Um, it's, it's the emigrants and the new land, and this is. Um, I feel like you
0: you saw this fairly. I mean, recently could be like the last two years. Uh, um, it might have
1: been a few years. I okay. I saw it and talked about it in the movie journal when Criterion yeah. put out a Blu-ray. Um, which uh, um, uh, they also put out here is your life on Blu-ray. But um, yeah, I've seen, it, I, I saw it for the first time or the only time uh, within the past few years, but um, this is him with Jan on again. And, uh, w- and I wanted to talk about something that we'll see in a couple of young trail films, the way that he uses him differently than Bergman, whereas Bergman uses his physicality for uh, often for, for energy, Um, Jan Troel likes to like to position Von Sydow in his imposing physicality as people who are kind of immovable Mm -hmm. and often suffer tragic consequences because of their inability to adapt Um, and so uh, The immigrants Slash the New Land is uh, based on a novel about uh, a Swedish family Uh, who leave Sweden and come to America and eventually um, uh, uh, start a farm in uh, Minnesota. Um, But the movie, like I said, it's six and a half hours long. The first movie, The Emigrants, is like three hours and ten minutes long. And at the end of it, they're on the boat to America. So they don't even get to America in the first movie. Um, uh, And Liv Ullman plays uh, his wife, the so the, the the first movie is about um, uh, how difficult it is for them to get out uh, people die I mean, maybe they actually do arrive I'm trying to remember because it's been a few years like I said they might arrive in America that might be the end of the first movie like I can't remember um, but people die on the boat a lot of people don't make it even that far there's a reason they're e- e- eager to leave Sweden for America they're they're suffering there and then once they get there obviously things aren't easy they're they're um, uh, looked down upon for not speaking the language and then they have to, you know Starting a farm is hard. It turns out um, uh, Not that
0: he didn't know that I just uh, I mean, I, I play stardew valley and I mean it took a while to really get it going so no, I get it. I get it.
1: Uh, and then of course there's the dangers of the wilderness the dangers of the the, the era um, uh, And through it all his sort of headstrongness is both a boon to Keep them fighting through all of this stuff, um, and also sometimes the most damaging thing to his to his family. Uh, I feel like we've seen so many movies about uh, patriarchs of families who don't uh, listen and change their ways, who stick by their principles, quote unquote. Uh, until it's too late. Uh, And this is a great uh, version of that. And it's, I mean, it's not all about Von Setel. It's about the whole family. So it's kind of an ensemble piece. But he and Liv Ullman are the definite leads. And um, it's, uh, I mean, if you got six and a half hours, uh, it's absolutely uh, worth worth watching. Okay. All right. So next is The Exorcist. Why don't you talk for a minute? Okay. Yes.
0: Uh, So, you know, when I saw the exorcist for the first time given the title of the film, which I think we've done episode, we've done an episode about titles, right? Oh, have we? I can't remember. Cause I feel like if it seems like we, we've been doing this too long and my mind goes to it too frequently for us to have not done that, but I don't even know. But, uh, I am, I'm always fascinated by, uh, by why I mean I recognize it was based on a book, but it still applies this idea of titling a movie after a specific character when that character is not your lead hmm. and so mm-hmm. with the Exorcist, like it's called the exorcist the the what you know it's one of the most iconic images in all of film is him standing outside the house uh, under the the street lamp, and then the the look of Max von Saito in the film just. As sort of this, this guy who looks a little bit weather beaten, um, and just has such gravitas, like he just looks like a man of authority, a man that like I'm not going to question anything this man says. Like he clearly has these things worked out. And then, spoilers everybody for The Exorcist: the fact that he does not make it to the end, mm-hmm. and that he, and that we don't even see his death scene. Um, Uh, Jason Miller just comes in and he's, and he's lying on the ground dead. And it's, it's such a fascinating concept. And I realize I'm kind of talking about the film in general, but you know, all that is to say that when you have a film called this, and then you have the character with this kind of screen time and this sort of arc, um, I feel like you, you need a character. This is going to sound strange. I feel like you need an actor who has no real vanity because it's not like it's a small role, but I feel like some actors might see it as a little bit unrewarding, you know, because he's there. And he is a definite presence, but he's not allowed any any like really big emotional scenes. He has some really nice quiet moments, and he really is there to sort of declare theme, um, and that's a very hard thing to do while still maintaining uh, uh, an emotional aspect to the character and just not letting him be. Uh, just allegory up there on the screen. And I think mm-hmm. Max von Cito brings a specificity to a character that very easily could have been more of a concept than an actual character. And I think going back to this idea of him, you know, the, the sadness uh, of, of him, like the idea that this guy is sort of this weird outcast in the Catholic church, just doing his own thing. Cause nobody really knows how to handle him, And this ongoing, feud he's had with this demon uh that has clearly taken a toll on him and the idea that his his faith rather than get rattled has has gone has gone even deeper to such an extent that he does not despair over even the the most uh horrendous ideas um like it's and again i'm talking about the film's themes and that he can play that while still making the character feel human is really an accomplishment. Um, it's a marvelous performance in in a in a movie that I think is is really great. And you have very human performances with Jason Miller and Ellen Burstyn, and so that kind of frees him up to embody this other aspect, the more overtly religious aspect of the story, while once again still seeming very empathetic towards what's going on. And, you know, in those moments where he is attempting to comfort Ellen Burston, like the, there's such like, I take solace in that character. Um, it's a, it, it's the exorcist. It fascinates me as a movie. I recognize it's a horror movie, um, but it feels more like a domestic drama to me in the way that it's executed. And, and he is sort of the, the the loving grandfather who, yes, doesn't make it all the way through, but is like this source of stability and comfort. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, I think for a lot of people, probably including me, this is sort of the the iconic, the either that or the seventh seal are sort of the the iconic roles of his. But uh, yeah, I, like. I, when you see what he does with it, and you see the the way the character looks and the way the character is written, like you under you kind of understand why the film is called The Exorcist and why the novel was called The Exorcist and not The Possessed, you know.
1: Um, and I, to go back to what you said about his lack of vanity, I wonder uh, just coming out of all the Swedish films we talked about, the fact that he's like Sweden is a much smaller country, a smaller film industry he's working with the same actors and the same directors working the same actors in different directors films i think maybe he came uh, he came to america already used to be feeling like a part of a company uh, yeah you know and and that's the uh, so he's as much as he's uh good at being a leading man he's a he's a team player um speaking of well uh speaking of scandinavian leading men uh who come to america <laughs> i am reminded what his the next film for me is three days of the condor okay and i'm reminded of mads Mikkelsen, someone who sure. in denmark denmark is is like there he's like a george clooney like leading man uh, uh type and he comes to america and everyone just wants to cast him as villains all the time and so three days of the condor is a movie where max von Sydow plays uh
0: the villain the assassin jobert yeah, we're going to see him play the villain in quite a few things uh, once he gets to the U.S. Um, and you know what? It's interesting. Uh, I just had this weird flash that, like, it's been a while since I've done it, but you, we talk about fantasy casting and stuff. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to see uh, Max von Sydow as, like, Hannibal Lecter? I feel like he could have done it, and I oh, think yeah. it would have been amazing. Yeah but anyway sorry go on
1: uh i don't have much i it's been so long since i've seen three days of the, okay. Con- the three days of the condor but it's a sydney pollock movie it's very it's a good movie um they talk about it in out of sight um they sure do yeah uh there's a tv series version of it now with uh max irons is that his name jeremy irons uh oh, I didn't son know that uh yeah um It's got Bob Balaban in it. He just did an interview uh, for the AV Club uh, about it. Uh, Anyway, but uh, an American movie in which uh, Von Sydow did not play a villain is the next year, 1976, Stuart Rosenberg's Voyage of the Damned, which
0: Which I'm assuming you've seen. I have seen, I, not since high school, but okay. uh, I'm but assuming yeah, you saw if, it because Orson Welles is in it. I, I was aware of the of the other actors, uh, and it just sounded interesting to me. And with a with a cast that big, yeah, I was like, "Oh, I want to I want to be it, a part of this."
1: It weirdly it takes that '70s feel of like those big like star studded disaster movies and applies mm-hmm. it to a true story. Um, that's uh uh, an incredibly depressing true story about an entire like uh luxury liner um uh where that departed from hamburg germany with close to a thousand passengers all of them jews uh headed for uh cuba to expatriate to to leave um uh to leave germany for good and uh they weren't allowed to disembark in Cuba they weren't allowed in America they uh, some of them got off in different places but uh it mostly is uh, uh again Vanzato started this research was uh, exhausting for this uh, episode because Vonsado started a lot of long ass movies and this one's like <laughs> 2 hours and 35 minutes or something yeah. um uh he's the and, he's the captain of
0: the ship right yeah
1: he plays he okay. plays the captain who's um he was chosen as captain by the Nazis as a sort of PR thing because he's like the one ship captain in Germany who refused to join the Nazi party. So they feel like it makes them look good to have him at the head of, of, of the ship. Um, uh, it's just, you know, Stuart Rosenberg is best known for directing, um, cool hand Luke, I think, um, which is, which is a movie that's not best known for it's, Direction, I, I feel like um, uh, it's really more about uh, Paul Newman and Conrad Hall's cinematography and stuff, uh, and I guess the screenplay. But um,
0: he also made I, Brew uh, Baker, which I thought was a pretty good movie. I never saw that. Um, actually, pretty similar to Cool Hand Luke in a lot of ways. Uh,
1: but Voice of the Damned is not a, a bad movie uh, at all. Um, Oscar Werner um, plays a real piece of shit uh, villain. He he's the <laughs> There's other Nazis in the movie, but he's the real like essay. he's the guy who joins the like crew of the ship basically on behalf of the Nazi Party to keep an eye mostly yeah. on on von Sadeau's character. Um, yeah, Lee Grant is in it. Um, um, Jonathan Jonathan Price uh, is in it. Malcolm is McDowell Ma- is James Mason
0: in this? I seem to recall uh, James Mason is in this.
1: Is James Mason in it? Sam Wanamaker is in it. Is- i'm trying to remember i watched it fairly recently
0: um, yeah i saw it like 20 years. yes he's in it okay all right it's weird the stuff that my mind goes to yeah. but yeah like when i think about the movie oh, yeah. i think of about wells faye dunaway max von Sydow, and james mason because those are the okay. actors like when i saw it, those were the actors i knew i would not well, have thought oh that's wendy Hiller, you know or whatever
1: um yeah and you might not have thought oh that's um uh Ben Gazzara at that age, but Ben Gazzara has got a uh yeah. he's one of the good guys uh who who's trying to get trying to convince the Cubans to actually let uh uh let these the these these
0: people off the ship. Um
1: uh Orson like Welles. I feel like though, I would
0: probably enjoy watching this. Like yeah, look, it's, it's, looking at the cast like people that I now know, like Jose Ferrer, Fernando Rey, Denham Elliott. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good cast.
1: Yeah, Denham Elliott. Um, uh, but Orson Welles is so Orson Welles. There's little things in the movie that I know ju- that he just did. Because uh, oh, yeah. he, he plays a very wealthy Cuban, I guess. Uh, yeah, a lot of non-Cubans play Cubans in this movie. Yeah. Um, but he plays a very wealthy Cuban who... Uh, sort of has some strings that he can try to pull to try and uh, uh, get these people off the ship, but also he's a businessman first, and he's not going to do anything that's going to put his interest at risk. So he's kind of like a, I don't know, uh, morally n- neutral uh, character, or at least trying to be. Um, but he has the scene where there's a uh, there's a uh, a father who's already has left Cuba, is German, has left or has left Germany and lived in, lived in Cuba and his two daughters are on the ship trying to come to him. And he's trying to get, and he's like pleading with Orson Welles and Orson Welles is like talking to him about, like, here's what I can do. And he's in the back of his car about to take off. Um, and his girlfriend, he's got like this 20 something year old, like uh, <laughs> super hot, like uh, girlfriend who like keeps trying to like, I can't remember what she's doing. She's like looking at trying to read the newspaper or whatever. And she's, he's sort of wasn't talking to this guy. And then she, then he just turns around and he's he's like, why don't you bring your glasses? (laughs) (laughs) That, that, that has to have been a Wells thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He might not have even been in character when he said that. He (laughs) might've been talking to the actress. Yeah. Um,
1: All right, so yeah, uh, that's more time than I expected to spend on, on Voyage of the Damned. Um, it's not a very well-remembered movie, but it's better than its reputation. I, I, it's, it, it's worth watching if you've got to spare two hours and 40 minutes. Um, all right, so
0: what's next for you? Next uh, for me I is lost film, my place here. Next for me is a film that I have not seen since I was young, and that is Flash Gordon. Okay, I've never seen uh, a film that I have very little memory of. Regardless of what uh, friend of the show Ian Brill uh, keeps pushing me towards, like he just keeps telling me to watch it, and it's like I have seen it, but not for a long time. And as a kid, I did not understand what it was trying to do—that uh, it was this throwback. One thing I did understand, and I can't talk much about it right now because, of course, I don't have a lot of specific memories, but one thing that I totally responded to was Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless. Uh, The character of Flash Gordon, I was like, I don't get what this guy guy is. I thought the music was ridiculous and cheesy, but, man, I loved this over-the-top villain. Uh, It it was, you know, I, I had... I guess that was probably my first real um, exposure to Max von Saito, but I I wasn't thinking in terms of actors. I remember just being like, "I like this guy. Uh, this is a fun villain," and uh, and that's the most I can that's the most I can uh, contribute. Except that uh, Flash Gordon, I feel like it has been. It's been, it's thought of quite well now. I feel like it, it only recently got like a Blu-ray release okay. and recently could be in the last couple of years, like a good deluxe Blu-ray release. But, um, but yeah, it's a film that I feel like I would like to revisit, uh, not just for Max von Sydow, but I think I'd probably appreciate what the film is doing in general now. But, uh, as a kid that, that I, I liked a good villain and that was a good villain.
1: Um, well, uh, he, he played a couple of roles like this, because he's also King Osric in Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. um, which I couldn't tell you much much about. Uh, he's Dr. Kynes in Dune, which I could tell you even less about, because saw, I saw Dune once when I was in high school, uh, just to sort of check it off my David Lynch list. Um, I know it doesn't have a great reputation, uh, and I don't remember thinking very highly of it at the time.
0: He's one of several actors to have played Blofeld, and uh, he plays him in uh, Never Say Never Again. Oh, right. The Bond he, movie that's not a Bond movie. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess he doesn't really play Blofeld. Yeah, he um, plays Blofeld, quote unquote. Uh, but then he's also delightful as uh, Brewmeister Smith in Strange Brew. Um, he's the villain Strange Brew. I've never seen Brew. <laughs> You know, that's that's one I saw that film when I was young cuz my my dad said, "Oh, you'll love it." And then I watched it and was like, "This is funny, but I don't think I quite understood what what it was tr- supposed to be as far as like how Canadians are how they act or whatever." Um, but I remember like I had I recognized Max von Sydow from a number of other things and I was like, "It's weird that he's in this pure comedy." Um, it's sort of like when uh, Christopher Lee plays the villain in uh, The Stupids, where it's like, what? Again, <laughs>
1: not, again not, not one that I that I saw.
0: Um, the Stupids is actually a, 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 a smarter movie than I gave it credit for at the time. It does stupid in a very smart way. Um, okay, what's next for you?
1: Next for me would be Hannah and Her Sisters. I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's also not um, – um, he's not one of the – Major roles in the movie he's the husband that she leaves, right, yeah, but he's but it's you
0: know unsurprisingly, Woody Allen gives him some good scenes and some really great he gives him like a wonderful Woody Allen line where he says, if Jesus Christ came back and saw the stuff that was happening in his name, he'd never stop throwing up All and right. yes that's right, and von sido delivers it wonderfully and he is a character's name is Frederick and he's sort of this academic and he's meant to be seen as a little bit uncaring. And when he discovers that uh, that his wife um, is, is interested in another man, you actually see like the mask slip and you, and you see that he is a very emotional person who just didn't realize what was happening. And it, it, it works really well. Um, I actually, when I think of Woody Allen films, I, I tend not to think of, particularly emotional scenes. I, there are often hysterical scenes uh, by, and I don't necessarily mean funny, uh, mm-hmm. but stuff like blue Jasmine, there's a lot of, there's a lot of extroverted emotions, but I don't necessarily think of like these really genuine moments of vulnerability, but there, but it's there in Hannah and her sisters from this character who you probably least expect to respond in this way and i remember really uh he really makes an impact in that movie i love that movie all around but i think he really does a great job uh within it
1: um all right so the next year uh billy august's *Pella the conqueror um <clears throat> for which he was actually nominated uh for uh an oscar i'm not sure yes. um was that uh you're more of an oscar historian was a non-english language actor being nominated uh, uh a big deal at the time uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously, he speaks English, but in the role, yeah. he's speaking Swedish and
0: Danish. I mean, it's certainly... I, know, I don't know if I'd say it was a big deal. It's rare. It doesn't happen very often. Um, and I mean, I think it happens a little bit more
1: now, but I can't think... I, I feel like it does, but I can't think of any examples on the top of my head.
0: Uh, I mean, like Antonio Banderas was nominated last last year. Right? Yeah. Um, Roberto Benigni uh, won for Life is yeah. Beautiful, and then...
1: You Do got, we count uh, Jean Dujardin for? Uh, I
0: don't think so. Uh, <laughs> it's a French movie, right? But the year before you had uh, like Javier Bardem in, in *Beautiful*, so it does ha- it does happen a f- a fair amount. Uh, yeah. Maria, *Full of Grace*, was an example.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, uh, so Pillow of the Conqueror*, uh, have you seen it? Uh, yes, I have. Okay, so. Um, uh, it's, he plays the much older father of a 12 year old boy named Pella. Yeah. Uh, and they, again, he's playing someone leaving Sweden to go, uh, set off an, agri- an, agrarian, an agrarian life, but unlike the character in the immigrants in the new land, it's not his farm. He joins essentially a, I'm not sure what you would call it. It's a, uh, he's part of the staff of a farm in in Denmark. Um, and the movie mostly takes place with the, the staff. Um, it reminded me of a much more sort of audience friendly, uh, version of the tree of wooden clogs, which is an Italian movie, uh, about uh, a bunch of, uh, similar, like, uh, uh, farm workers. Um, and, and uh, I was surprised, <laughs> I guess this is my American, like blindness. Like there's so much like, of the danes looking down on the swedes in this movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that i'm like it's just like uh, i mean a shame to say that way in america we barely know the difference uh, yeah. um,
0: but uh that was something that, that surprised me it's it's sort of like when i lived in southern missouri like i moved there from colorado and then i found that like everyone there just constantly made fun of arkansas um because like we were right on the corner and they're like yeah. oh those arkansas just like I mean, I know there's a border, but really, is there that much of a difference between yeah. uh, these these lifestyles? Because um, from coming from Colorado, I had no idea. Um, yeah, I do think that uh, I think he's marvelous in Pelle the Conqueror. And
1: you know, you mentioned. I, sorry, I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna let you finish. But um, <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, you mentioned earlier that he doesn't play stupid very often but he's his character here is not i don't think he's like an idiot but he's not like that smart a man he's also kind of an alcoholic yeah
0: it's a deeply flawed he's a deeply flawed character and he's a guy that doesn't have a great deal of agency partially because of the situation he's in i think partially because of just his own his own failings you know it's i feel like this is the you don't see this type of character from Bonsaito very often. Um, And he's a guy who I think kind of hates himself uh, because he's just so constantly aware of his circumstances and his perceived inability to, to help his family. And it's, it's the kind of character that you empathize with, but you, you don't want to empathize with too much. Uh, Not because you condemn them, but because you're just like, Oh, gosh, I hope I am never in that situation there. It's so tragic, but you also realize that it's possible that a good portion of that tragedy is is the character himself. Like Mm -hmm. he's only going to be able to do so much as a person. Um, and it's not, you don't condemn the character, but you are just, I think you are lovingly aware of his limitations and, uh, I I like the movie a lot and I, but, and I adore his performance.
1: Yeah. um, It's a, he was nominated as lead actor, but as the title would suggest, it's, uh, I mean, he's really more of a support. It's more about the boy.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's, it's like a, that happens a lot. It's like, you know, the great Santini where it really is more Michael O'Keefe's movie, but you know, they'll, they'll go with lead for like Robert Duvall and stuff. Um, Okay. So, Uh, Then I've got awakenings. Um... Well, I've got a couple things, actually. Okay. Good. So, he did the voice of Vigo in Ghostbusters 2, which is something I didn't know because the actor, uh, there have been multiple articles written about the actor who played Vigo being a monster of a person who made everyone in his life, including himself, totally miserable. Uh, huh. But the, they, picked somewhat, they picked a good person for the voice because uh, that voice matches that image completely. But then in high school, I did watch a VHS copy of Red King White Knight, uh, which I remember being, it was a TV movie. Uh, okay. to, starring Tom Skerritt. And I remember it being a really uh, nice little thriller in which there's like a, a plot to assassinate Gorbachev and the Americans find out about it and are trying to figure out like what to do um, should they make the Soviets aware of it because in doing so they're revealing like, oh, we've been spying on you and we weren't supposed to. Uh, and then, and in the meantime, Max von Sydow plays plays uh, like, a sort i get i don't know what you'd call it uh, like a dormant uh KGB assassin who gets activated and oh, so okay. he's not a, a particularly well-rounded character he's just there to be intimidating and really he he sort of feels like a, a a James Bond villain not like a Blofeld but like sort of uh Robert Shaw uh just like this assassin who is who's good at one thing and just the way he plays the character uh it, it it really impacted me the movie is is perfectly fine and nobody talks about it understandably so but yeah. i i remember in high school like i really responded to to his character uh, but yes now we can jump to uh to awakenings I, mean, I don't have anything to say about awakenings i, right. I
1: mean it's, it's not you you've seen the movie right yeah it's been a
0: while but yeah he's just no. a, a a doctor right
1: yeah, but he's not he's not Rob Williams and he's not John Hurd. Yeah. He's just another doctor. I'm trying to remember exactly who he plays. I don't think it's a big part. Uh yeah. so uh I guess we I shouldn't have even mentioned it. Um we could jump to nineteen ninety three and Needful Things in which he plays a role that should be great, but it's uh I find the movie to be uh, a real uh missed opportunity in many you know, ways.
0: But for a long time, Needful thing was like one of your favorite books of all time. yes? yeah, yeah, I read
1: the book uh, first as a yeah, as a young person uh, as a as a tween and teenager, it was one of my favorite books because um just in its construction, it's so fascinating. Have you see have you read the the book? No, I haven't. it's just, it's just so fascinating to see how. The chaos builds from the, uh, a bunch of small things that Leland Gaunt sort of sets in motion, and you see the um, uh, play, you know, like pinballs sort of bouncing off each other and turning into snowballs that uh, end up destroying an entire town, all from this one like shopkeeper saying, "Hey, maybe you want to buy this trinket" um, to a few people. Uh, and the book's like, I don't know, like seven hundred pages long. Obviously, you couldn't do that. And the 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 movie just it didn't seem like a very uh, um,
0: uh, it's not a very good ad- adaptation of what Stephen King was doing there. And, you know, like it, it worked for me, I think because it has a really good cast and I think the cast does a great job. Always nice to see JT Walsh. Um, but, uh, and there were moments in there that I found particularly disturbing. Like when the, the kid is going to kill himself, like he picks up faster than everybody else on what is going on and his own culpability and is threatening to kill himself. And he said, and he says like, he says, I have to go to hell, which is such a, a Stephen King type line, putting that in the mouth of a kid. Um, So I remember thinking that's, that's pretty uh, effective, but I do love Max von Saito in it. I think he's having a lot of fun and he definitely, cause he can't be Ming the merciless. He can't be just overtly evil. He has to just seem sort of like a playful but mostly harmless old man who, who means well. Yeah. And then you discover as the, as the film goes on, I mean, you know, the whole time, but like, as the film goes on, he feels, he he starts to become a little bit more of what he actually is. And, uh, and I, I really love his performance in it.
1: Yeah. He's, yeah, he's definitely good at playing, uh, villains in American movies. That's definitely something that he, <laughs> yeah. that he did a lot. Um, but in the next thing for me is Citizen X, a 1995 yeah. uh, made for HBO movie, in which he's very much not the villain. It's a small part, but I'm, and it's not actually a very good movie, I have to
0: say. Um, I think you said you liked it a little more than I did when we were talking I, about it off mic. I did, but I saw it a long time ago. Um, and I think I, I was so fascinated by. Um, as I tend to be, I was so fascinated by like the depiction of Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. um, that I think I probably forgave quite a bit. And, and I like some of those actors. I think Jeffrey DeMunn is a really great actor. It's always nice to see him in, in a, in a part. Um, and I remember really liking the scenes with Max von Sydow, who is uh, a psychiatrist, I believe. So yeah, because, like,
1: the yeah. the movie is based on a true story of, um, uh, a a Soviet like, serial killer and basically this one detective played by Stephen Ray who devoted his life to trying to catch the serial killer um, when almost all of... Essentially the entire bureaucracy and party bureaucracy uh, for uh, for political reasons didn't want him to. Um, and Donald Sutherland plays sort of his uh his rabbi i guess the uh the, the the guy on the inside the guy who knows how to play the game with the yeah. bureaucrats um and of course you've got joss ackland is the bad guy bureaucrat he's of course yeah
0: it's there's one guy uh, that's a more reliable villain in american yeah. movies it's, it's <laughs> Josh ackland uh
1: yeah jeffrey damon plays the serial killer um i think that's that's kind of part of my problem with the movie is that it doesn't like um it doesn't commit to a like portrayal or a mindset of the serial killer. It has like scenes that are from his, there's a really disturbing scene early on from Jeffrey Dahmer's character's point of view where he's looking for his next villain and it's like sort of next shot. Victim. And, uh, victim is what I meant yes. to say. Yes. Looking for his next victim and it's sort of shot and presented almost like a romance when he finds this person. Yeah. Like, and that's like, I wanted more of that kind of like psychological stuff. A lot of it is just like, here's the story. Here's what happened. But, I feel
0: like you, uh, either, you either need to go full on M and like show his perspective. Right, right. Or you go Zodiac and it's all about people on the outside pursuing him. And I think it's right. kind of yeah. this frustrating mix of the two.
1: Um, But you've got Max Fonsato as, uh, according to the movie, I don't know how to uh, fact check this, but according to the movie, the first time in the history of Russia that a uh, psychologist was brought in to uh, consult on, uh, uh, on a serial killer manhunt. And he really only has two scenes. In his first scene, he's almost kind of like he's giddy at the opportunity. About it, yeah. like he, he almost seems kind of childish uh, about it. And then his second scene, when he's actually trying to get a confession out of Jeffrey DeMunn, is the best scene in the movie by far. far. Yeah, um, and uh, partially because we've seen him be this kind of like uh, 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 overly like boyishly eager character before. To see him suddenly talk about like you know these sex crimes in this heavy voice and 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 take it seriously and you can see how much even talking about these things is affecting him it's uh um it's a uh, really great sort of case study and how to how to build a character in two scenes yeah um all right uh, i never saw judge Dredd. i'm
0: assuming you did uh no actually i oh, didn't really? and i think i'm fine okay I think the next thing for me is, uh, what dreams may come And Okay. Well, I've got another, uh,
1: 1996, uh, movie, another, another goddamn two hour and 40 minute movie. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think, uh, the last Jan Choil, uh, movie that I have, um, and it's called Hamson, and, um, uh, it's based on a real, person Max Sydow plays uh, a writer named Hanson handsome who was kind of who was kind of like the, uh, Norway's favorite writer, I guess until world war two came along and he was pro Hitler. Um, and so, uh, the movie, uh, like a lot of, you know, we've talked about like these biopics that, uh, um, just focus on one section of his life. And I think, uh, a smart move. The movie starts with essentially his entire writing career behind him. And he's, he's essentially like at the twilight of his, uh, of his life, enjoying his status among Norwegians. And then he goes and fucks everything up by, uh, by being a uh, uh, pro Hitler. Um, and the movie makes, I, I don't think, I think the movie walks the line of like trying to see it from his point of view where he doesn't see himself as pro not see so much as he sees himself as uh anti-britain he hates great britain and he hates their sort of imperialistic arrogance um and so he essentially aligns uh uh with um with hitler because hitler is opposed to britain um uh but it's a uh, uh it's a movie that i think In the hands of someone like the... I forget the name of the guy who made Citizen X. It could have been a kind of boring and dry... One thing happens after another. Just like, here's a bunch of information and uh, things that happened. But uh, uh, Yantrel is... um, uh, Very good at at piecing together larger-than-life stories in ways that feel cinematic and larger-than-life, but also um are psychologically interested character character based um and again crucially not um n- neither condemning nor forgiving of yeah. of, of hamson is a it just it's an interesting movie again if you've got two hours and 40 minutes on your hands sure uh to to watch it um okay so what did you say was
0: next for you Next for me is What Dreams May Come a film I have not seen since I saw it at the time and he plays uh, a character who is uh, who means a lot to Robin Williams as sort of a mentor okay. um, but in the I'm after- glad you have a better memory than I do cuz I also have not seen it since the theater Yeah and I I, I, barely I remember, the, remember I remember the visuals probably more than anything yeah. um and they're quite astonishing in some cases but uh yeah it's it's a weird situation where like all of these uh, these figures from Ron Williams' life show up in the afterlife, but none of them are themselves. That like the character of Max von Saito in life, it looks like him, but then in the afterlife, I think he's Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, whereas, but then you see Max von Saito, oh, okay. but he's not him. He's instead, I think like a little girl. Uh, and so it, Man, I remember being like, "That's kind of a weird uh, choice," but I still kind of think it's neat. Um, and uh, and I remember really liking what Max von Sydow does. And I might have the I might have the 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 characters sort of mixed up a little bit there. Still, but you, uh, you remember way more than I do. Yeah, I remember not really caring for the film at the time, but uh, in retrospect, I think I might like it more now if I were to return to it. Um, and then I did see the miniseries Nuremberg in 2000. I remember very okay. little about it, unfortunately. Um, so the next one really for me is uh, minority report.
1: Yeah. Same here. Minority report. Uh, another, another uh, uh, villain role um, that yeah. I think eventually gets kind of, I've always had problems with the end of minority report. Cause it gets a little too mustache twirly, I think. Uh,
0: and the they, early. they explain it twice. They explain what happened twice. And I was like, Oh, you didn't need to. You already told me. You don't need to tell me again.
1: Yeah. And it's um, Max Fonsetto does the explaining,
0: right? Am I remembering correctly? I think it's, I think it's one person. I, I seem to recall Tom Cruise explaining to him after we've already been shown everything. Right. That's and what it so Yeah. Like, okay. No, we got it. You don't need to do this. Um, and I remember being frustrated by that, but, and, and thinking that like, it's a situation where Max von Sydos, his character is seen as on our side. He's on Tom Cruise's side only to reveal like, oh no, he actually is this, this evil guy. I remember being frustrated. There's a lot that I love about Minority Report, but I remember being frustrated that like his character is pretty two dimensional.
1: Um, yeah, that was the the thing at that time was that uh, Steven Spielberg couldn't figure out how to end his movies, and I would agree on Minority Report and War of the Worlds, but the other example people gave was Munich, and uh, I don't agree on Munich. I like mm. I like Munich start to front, start uh, to, start to end, front to uh, back. Yeah, I, is I the saying it. that. I'm trying to think of <laughs> cover to cover. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> go to woe. Didn't we touch ta- um, No, that was off mic. My- uh okay uh 2007 the diving bell and
0: the butterfly um, which i've never seen and i don't think i ever will the concept uh, of it is so horrifying to me i don't think i'd be able to actually watch it
1: no i think um I, I think you'd actually like it more than you think it's actually uh um surprisingly like there's a lot of gallows humor uh to it it's also quite uh beautiful um but um uh, but yeah, the disturbing parts are are disturbing. And Matthew Amorik, who's a great actor, um, uh, yeah, um, does great things um, with very little for a lot of the movie. Um, but uh, Max von Satter plays his father, who is um, doesn't have the same locked-in syndrome, obviously, as, as mm-hmm. Matthew Amorik's character, but is ailing and is sort of wheelchair-bound and, and mostly. Uh, homebound too. He can't really uh, leave. Um, And so this is another great use of Max Fonsado's physicality because he's a big imposing guy. And it's sad after see, after all these movies that we've talked about to see him not even be able to, to stand up, um, but still be sort of a source of, of, of strength Um. which then becomes even more sad when he uh, starts crying on the phone with his son who can't talk back to him. Um, It's a, yeah, uh, uh, I guess everything I'm saying is probably making you not want to see the movie even more because it's very sad, Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a good performance, even though it's, it's probably, there's probably three scenes uh, total with with him in the whole movie. Um, Next up for me is
0: Shutter Island, but uh, you saw the Wolfman, right? Uh, I did, but I didn't. It says here uh, direct, he's in the director's cut of The Wolfman, which I didn't see. Okay. Um, so, Shutter Island,
1: uh, another villain, but he's great. Uh, Shutter yeah. Island is a movie I've really come around on after not Boy. liking it very much when I saw it in the theater. And me too, 100%. Um, and I remember, I'm trying to remember who it was. Someone was being interviewed about being in Shutter Island. Maybe it was Mark Ruffalo, and he was talking about. Martin Scorsese caught him just staring at Max von Sydow and Scorsese said, <laughs> and Scorsese said, I know, right? What the fuck do you say to the guy? <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't remember if it was Mark Carly. It was someone who who told that story uh, that I, that I love. Uh, wh- what thoughts do you have on just that?
0: You know, he's, I mean, he's a villain, but obviously because of the revelations, it's like, well, he's, See, he's seen as a villain. He's a sort of an antagonist, but uh, uh, it turns out there's more to him than, than we thought. There's more to everybody than we thought. Um, and I like that he's in a way, you could almost see him as like a mad scientist. Ben Kingsley is the guy who runs this whole thing, but he gets his sort of m- his medical support uh, from Max von Sydow and it just and he's the guy who's just mm. sort of uh, off to the side conducting these, these experiments and uh, and it's a, it's not a huge role but it's one that really works for me because he seems again kindly but uh, all the more insidious for for being as kindly as he is um all right i've only got two left and they're uh they're they're not for a while yeah um i i hate to say it i saw robin hood in 2010 i remember very little about the film and i don't remember that he was in it i'm sure it's not against him i just think the movie's totally forgettable
1: the character's name is sir walter locksley isn't it robin of Loxley? so is he yeah I assume he's brother a brother or father
0: okay. probably yeah i still don't remember him i feel bad um i did see extremely loud and incredibly close a film that has some really great elements but i mostly hate um and uh, he was, he got his uh, second Oscar nomination for this, uh, for supporting actor. And boy, I, I cannot, like, this is a, a great example of a good actor overcoming a shit character as as conceived. He plays a, a man who, I forget if he chooses not to talk or if he just... Um, lost the ability to talk but he has essentially he's written yes or no on the palms of his hands and that's that's how he responds and he may or may not be the the grandfather of our of our main character and so he starts to uh reconnect with connect or maybe reconnect with uh, this kid and you know, he has to go with that stupid horse shit. Yes or no thing. Uh And Max Bonsaito finds a way to take this, this conceit of a character and make him real to the point where he's the best part of the film. And you really feel like this is a human being instead of just a, a gimmick. And, you you feel for him you know he's he's because he's not talking and so it's all physicality as you were talking about earlier and facial expression and you really connect with him and he manages to overcome just a really shitty little writer's trick um Mm -hmm. and (laughs) uh and make him a, a real character like he absolutely deserved that oscar nomination because uh he really does something tremendous i don't think it's enough to recommend the film but uh, it is uh, uh, an achievement in its own in its own way.
1: Um, so the next one for me is the Star Wars. The, the, his one scene role in the Force Awakens, which
0: I, I think, I think J.J. Abrams is just like I want to work. want to work with Max von Sydow, but not give him much to do. Yeah, um, he's in the first scene, provides a, a nice amount of depth, and then that's it. And Parham's like this. This is a bad. This is a bad call.
1: I remember, I remember after the movie saying, This is it's, it's amazing how much you can change in five years. Uh, uh, five years ago, I was still trying to care about Star Wars lore and stuff. I remember after the movie saying to my wife, Were we supposed to know who Max Pensado's character
0: was? And none of it was like, What are you looking at me for? <laughs> I don't, she's where I am now. She didn't care about any of that. How appropriate. His character's name is Lore Santeca. I imagine no one calls him by his name. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but they got to call him something. Uh, but yeah, it's just such a, it, it's such a nothing character and good for him for trying to take it seriously. And he does imbue the character with something insofar far as like he, he's able to look at, uh, Adam driver, Kylo Ren, and just like essentially just see right through him. Like in the midst of this slaughter, he's like, ah, I know who you really are. And I really appreciate that, but then the character is killed and then that's it. And it just feels like, you know, who gives a shit? Um, it's nothing against Max von Saito, obviously. It just feels and like then a
1: waste. I only have one left, um, and that's Thomas Vinterberg's The Command, which wasn't called that when I saw it. It was called Kursk.
0: Right. I actually started watching it on Netflix yesterday, but uh, I did not get a chance to finish it, and I did not uh, i did not get to max von Sydow.
1: oh okay yeah it's not it's not a, a great movie yeah. it's what the, one thing we haven't mentioned talk about his whole uh career is how many different nationalities obviously he played swedes yeah. he played germans he yeah. played a carpathian oh. in ghostbusters 2 <laughs> of course um, uh, and here is and he's playing another uh, uh
0: russian um yeah. i'm pretty sure there's not a single russian in the film yes uh, there are no, because yeah, they're Germans. It doesn't, doesn't make, make them Russians. look good.
1: Uh, yeah. It is based on a true story that uh, yeah didn't go well uh, for a, a lot of Russians and wasn't good PR for the Russian military. Yeah. Um, but he plays the uh, sort of, in a way, he plays the role Joss Ackland played in Citizen X, which is yeah. the uh, he's even though this isn't a Soviet m- movie, but he plays the Russian uh, military commander who uh is more concerned with keeping up appearances than with the actual like safety and well-being of the people uh under his uh, command it's a true story of a um a russian submarine that sank um to the uh, floor of the sea during a military exercise and um the various rescue efforts um that uh that went into it um he's yeah he's only got a few scenes but he's got one of the standout scenes of the movie that's way late in the movie you obviously wouldn't have gotten to it uh that's just a great actor showcase where you've got uh colin firth as like the head of the british navy meeting face to face with max on Saturday and being like we will help you and max Von side general basically saying like "No, we don't need your help and colin firth basically saying no you do those people are going to die i mean obviously it's all better written than this but this is basically the conversation um that they're having and just uh, uh i'm a big fan of colin firth uh, in, uh yeah. in a lot of roles and so colin firth and max von side playing off each other is uh yeah we're possibly worth watching it for. The movie has a great cast, uh, in general, you've got Matthias, yeah. uh, Shannertson, Leia Seydoux, uh, August Deal. Um, I feel like there's some more people in there, but, uh, those are the main ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I saw enough of it that, uh, I, I will probably finish it, uh, and then talk about it when we do our next movie journal. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it does that thing. Uh, this has nothing to do with, uh, Max on but it does that thing where it starts out in one aspect ratio and then extends to this other. And part of me is like, eh. after a certain point, that just feels like someone trying to be clever. Uh, yeah, and um, I think and I would I have appreciated it more if it had started wide and then moved in because now they're on the submarine.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. Um, but two things about that: one, uh, without giving away too much about my my job, uh, movies that change aspect ratios are. Such a pain in the ass. Something, oh, I'm, dealing, I have, I have no something I'm dealing with right now uh, uh, is uh, 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 annoying. Just pick one. Just pick an aspect ratio. Um, yeah. uh, but the other thing is, I so I saw this at um, at TIFF in 2018 when it was called Kursk, and. Um, the 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 the, the Scotia uh, theater, which is where most of the press industry screenings are, and some of the public screenings, it's a uh, fourteen screen you know multiplex, and uh, they don't do any masking for aspect ratios uh, uh, in in that theater, which means that the screen is just a big sort of one eight five screen. And when it goes to scope, you've just got black bars at the top and bottom like you would watching it on your TV. But because this movie starts 185 and goes to scope, it started the whole opening section of Kursk was a small 185 frame in this bigger 185 frame. Um, it was just like a little po- It looked like a little poster stand. It was still plenty big. But <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, I uh, thought it looked ridiculous, but also I... Um, Kind of enjoyed knowing how much that bothered cer- bothers certain <laughs> uh, uh, cinephiles, so I kind of got a kick out of that. But um, yeah, the the changing aspect ratio thing. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I'm trying to think of examples where it's done well. I know in I think grand Bill has, does it okay. Uh, I, I like, like Kill Bill. Is, I Kill think... Bill Volume Two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Mostly, I like. I, I'm all. F- I, on the one hand i'm a huge fan of like these rarer aspect ratios coming back you know sure. like multiple movies being in in one through three and and one six six um uh and even like the lighthouse being one one nine like i yeah i'm all for that i'm not saying don't do non uh like uh, i'm not saying don't venture outside of the one eight five and two three nine t- world just just pick one It'll yeah, make it wa- so much easier on people down the line, uh, you know, who have to get your movie ready to be on some streaming service where the person who watches it doesn't care what the original ratio is. Uh, and is just going to be confused and, uh, complain.
0: Well, and that's the other thing is, you know, I would say I'm a little bit savvier than, than, you know, uh, other, uh, movie watchers. And so when I was watching it on my TV and I saw that it was like, you know, essentially a box within a box i was like right exactly oh. like i was like okay i see where we're headed this, yeah this is going to change otherwise it would fit up it was if it was just going to be this it would fill up more of my screen which means at some point this is going to widen mm-hmm. and it's going to be that and so uh, and sure enough i was right and uh, and i thought like yeah all right yeah it's it's just it's one it's to me it's almost like uh it doesn't happen as often but it's almost like the long take where it's just like you're just you're just now calling attention to yourself this is yeah. not working for me i will say
1: the the actual moment in the movie where it changes as it, the as the submarines like sort of yeah
0: uh launching um is a nice shot it but, is a it uh, is a, a very good shot it. i think it's a very well shot film so far um and and i'm like i said i'm interested to keep watching it but uh yeah moments like that it just feels like if you had not done that would do you think the film would have suffered? Cause I feel like it suffers more when you have a little gimmick yeah. uh, like that. But anyway, that's probably right. being a little bit too dismissive on my part.
1: Ah, um, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you thought uh, when you see the whole movie. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, the life and career of Max Fonsato. I feel like we touched on, we, we don't have a lot of huge blind spots here uh, between us. That's good. Um, it's not We're not going to get angry emails like uh, with past profiles
0: i didn't see i didn't see winter light i know yeah like winter light is one that's
1: yeah, yeah that's that is a big one um but uh yeah you can find us at battleship pretension.com again go to battleship slash premium buy anything you want all the proceeds will go to communities united against police brutality um you can email us at david at battleship pretension.com or tyler at battleship pretension.com you can follow me david on twitter at davy pretension tyler's at tyler pretension is there anything you wanted to mention
0: yeah. Uh, so obviously there's, uh, my documentary, real redemption, the rise of Christian cinema, which is available on faith life TV. And then also there's a, uh, a new website called the light university, which yes, I recognize sounds, uh, a little cultish as someone pointed out to me, but anyway, it's, uh, it's sort of like, uh, sort of the, what, those masterclass type things where you can pay for uh, a class and, uh, and so they reached out to me to put together a uh, film history class. So if you go to the, the light yeah. you will see my film history class. It's four videos, six hours. Uh, there are quizzes, there are movie recommendations, and you can get it all at the moment. The price will probably go up later, but right now it's 50 bucks and uh, a, a large percentage of that goes to me. So it'd be a really great way to, to help me, but, uh, it's also <laughs> something, it's also just about like, I put a lot of work into this thing and I would like people to see it. And I think, yeah. uh, people would enjoy it though. Uh, especially uh, our listeners, especially cause, uh, you know, it's film history, but it's also me commenting on film history. So anyway, so if you go to lightuniversity.com you can, uh, you can download that. So anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's it I- for me
1: uh forgot to mention the website or i reviewed abel ferrara's new uh film Tommaso. it's quite good and on the ba- patreon this week uh, we i talked said about Tommaso. The, uh, <laughs> you know what let's call it all off <laughs> uh, um, uh, and on the, the patreon we talked about the tv we were watching this week so um thank you for listening we'll get you next time bye bye